First, your greatest fear is to be known and rejected. And your greatest hope is to be known and loved. Did you hear that? Your greatest fear is to be known and rejected, and your greatest hope is to be known and loved. That's the first thing. Second thing, you have a bit of FOMO. You're scared that you're missing out on something, and you are locked in some prison while life is lived outside of that prison, and that is true. Until you find that in Christ, your greatest hope where the prison doors are opened up, the walls are shattered, and you go out and live the life that you've always been meant to live. Today, what I want to show you is that first, in Christianity, you find that you are known and loved, and second, you find that you are alive and free, fully alive. And that is only found through adoption in Christ. And that's what we're talking about today. We're in our series called The Gospel. The word gospel means good news, joyful news. The greatest news that you have ever heard is right here before you. And if it doesn't sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, you are misunderstanding something about it. And what we've been saying is that the gospel is not a diamond, but it is a grand diamond mine. And you enter into it, and there's all these shards of Christ. There's pieces of the gospel, parts of the gospel. And what we've been doing through the series is taking down a diamond each week, a part of the gospel, and we're looking at it. And we're seeing how it adds color and life to the world around us and to you. And what we've been saying is that we all have different wants and wounds. And for each of you, there's a specific diamond that will enchant you. There's a specific diamond that will draw you in. And there's a specific diamond that's going to make you want to worship God. Give him all of you. And make you say, I am in Christ. And what I've also been attempting to do each week is to show that the same way that each of you are drawn more to a specific part of the gospel. Throughout history, theologians, these great minds, have been arguing about what's the apex of the gospel? What's the greatest part of it? What's the greatest part of Christianity? And what you find is the debate has continued all throughout history. And the reason is because these great minds also have wounds. And they find a part of the gospel that really grips them. And each week what I'm doing is I'm reading the people who are most gripped by the truth we're talking about that week. So this week we're talking about our adoption in Christ. So great minds like J.I. Packer have said adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, even higher than justification. Now what's justification? Well, if you were here last week, you'd know. Justification means you have been made perfectly right with God through faith in Christ. Through your belief, it is credited to you righteousness, perfect, perfectly right with God. Most people would say that is the best part of the gospel. But J.I. Packer says, no, it's adoption, probably because of his wounds and his wants. John Calvin's theology of salvation has been called the gospel of adoption. John Owen called adoption the greatest fountain privilege, and John Murray called it the apex of grace. So today we're going to see what's so great about this adoption that we have been given. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 are verses. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son to, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So first point today, we're going to see that you have a new landscape. Here we see you, the, the verse says you are redeemed from the law. Now, this is what this means. You're moving from the courtroom into freedom. So for the last two weeks, we've been talking about the courtroom. And two weeks ago, we looked at this strange word called propitiation, which means Jesus took, he stole your sin from you. And he, as he stole it, he wore your sin for, for you upon the cross, and he's crushed in your place. That was two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at justification, which means he lived a perfect life. And then this perfect life he lived, every bit that he was obedient to his father, he took that perfect life and then credited it to you. So he took your bad record and gave you his perfect record. That was the courtroom experience. And now, now it's time to get out of the courtroom. And now it's time to go out into freedom. Your sins have been dealt with. Too many Christians live their lives in the courtroom, obsessing over their guilt and their shame. Your sin, the prison of sin that you were in, the chains of sin, and you have been released. However, you keep being brought down by guilt and shame, and so you remain in the courtroom as opposed to going out into the freedom that you've, that you've been given. Do you know how they train elephants they take a chain and put it around its ankle and over time that chain begins to cause open wounds and so the elephant stops trying to run and stays put because it hurts too bad and then the trainer will just put a rope around the elephant and the elephant feels like there's a chain there so the elephant's not going to run and then eventually the rope comes off the elephant is fully free but what doesn't look down to see and the truth is, your chain of sin and the power that it has over you, it's been removed. And if you will just look down and see that it's gone, you will go run out, out of the courtroom and into freedom. So here's your journey. You start in this prison of your sin. And there are cracks in this prison, cracks in the walls, and you can see out. It's the best view of freedom you have, these little tiny cracks, and you dream of what life could be out in freedom, what your life could look like, and then the court date comes. You're there appearing before the judge, and then you hear the verdict that surprises you, innocent, and this Savior comes in, and he takes your place, and he says, I'm taking your record. I'm going to the prison. You get freedom, and as you hear in that courtroom the words of freedom, you look out the windows, and you say, that is mine. Freedom is mine. And you're so excited. And you thank your Savior. And on your way out, well, on your way out, you sinned. You thought of something you shouldn't have. And you say, oh no, but I sinned. Look at what I did. So you run back to the judge. Am I still forgiven? Yeah, you're good. Go out. And so you start making your way out. And you're like, oh, I did it again. And you go. And you remain in the courtroom because you're never really trusting that you have been forgiven. It sounds too good to be true. So I suppose if you never do leave that courtroom, eventually those windows begin to shrink into what feels like a prison again, and then cracks, that at best you get to peer very tinily what it looks like out in freedom. 
So you have to go. It's time. Leave the courtroom and go out into freedom. And then when you get out, here becomes the next challenge. Once you are free, out in freedom, you begin to feel alone. You hit the steps of the courtroom doors and you look out and you say, I don't know who I am. I don't know how I'm supposed to live. I don't know what it looks like to live in freedom. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself. And you're tempted so badly to even go running back into the prison because at least you know what it's like in there. You have to go out. And if you don't, you're going to miss out on something. You're going to miss out on what it means to know that you have been adopted by God. So here, here's our second point, a new intimacy. You go from being a wanderer to a child of God who is deeply loved. So before you were a Christian, Jesus says in John 8 that actually your father was Satan. And he's the father of lies and he has hold on you. He is the father of this world. And then Jesus comes and he releases us from this dominion of the Satan and then we are free. And then we discover when there we meet our father, our new father, we discover that there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing him. You can study all the theology that you want. You can know it all. But the goal of it is to bring you right there before the Father to be in an intimate relationship with Him where you know Him and He knows you and He loves you fully and you love Him fully. That's the goal. And if you're not getting there, then your theology is a waste of time. Your Bible reading is a waste of time because the purpose of the Bible is to bring you to Christ and then from Christ to the Father. There is a great excitement and an intoxication and a thrill that comes from knowing God. And if you're not experiencing that, then you're not experiencing what it means to be adopted. To be known fully. This is what you're chasing. And I'm going to tell you something. No one can know you the way you long to be known except for God. Not even your spouse. In fact, my guess is that the reason you fight with your spouse if you were married is because you feel very misunderstood and they probably feel very misunderstood and you have some communication issues. Yeah, but underneath that, there's a deep sense of misunderstanding. And here's an even greater problem. You have no idea who you are. So I still think I'm trying to figure... I think the version of me when I was eight years old knew who I was better than I do today. Here's what I think happened. I think the world told me who I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to do, and I started listening. And my eight-year-old self began to lose who I actually was. And I'm still trying to be better like my eight-year-old self was. I'm still trying to know myself like my eight-year-old self did. But while that's a whole other issue, the reality is that God knows me. Psalm 139 says, He has searched me and has known me. He's acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, he knows it altogether. He hems me in, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The deep desire of the human soul is to be known. And secondly, not just to be known, but to also be loved. Because it is terrifying to be fully known and rejected. None of you 
have been loved the way you long to be loved outside of your relationship with God. Your spouse can't give you that love, your parents can't give you that love, and your children can't give you that love because they don't even fully know you. And if they can't fully know you, how can they fully love you? They're loving an idea of you versus the real thing of you. And even this, this glimmer that can always happen of this feeling of rejection, it taints us, it hurts us, it wounds us, and then we begin to build a wall around our heart. And as that wall comes up, well, we're hiding who we really are from people because we don't want to get hurt again. And so how can people really fully love you if they can't fully know you? But Christianity promises that you will be known deeply and loved fully. And that is when you go from a wanderer to a child of God. There's an old Anglo-Saxon poem called The Wanderer. And in it, there's a warrior whose Lord has died. His king died. And because of it, he's left with nothing and he's left to wander the earth. And when that happens in that day, it's pretty much a death sentence. And so he goes and wanders the earth. And then he begins to isolate himself because of the wandering. And then he begins to suffer. And as he suffers, he begins to isolate himself even more. Because when you suffer, you isolate yourself. Soren Kierkegaard says the sufferer will isolate himself from the misunderstood sympathy of others. The sufferer will free himself from what makes the suffering last longer from the talk of suffering, and from what makes suffering into something worse than suffering. Okay, so to suffer is painful, but to suffer and be misunderstood is hell. But Christ came so that we would be known. And you know how he can fully know you? Because he's come and he's already suffered first in your place. Which means when you suffer... You have a place to go run to, someone who knows what you're going through, who understands it, who feels the weight of what you feel. And so you go running to him and to your father, and guess what that means? Well, now you're getting more glimmers of heaven. So the irony is that suffering actually brings you closer into heaven because it's the suffering that causes you to go to the only place that you will feel understood, which is in the arms of Christ, in the arms of your father, and so there you are there in heaven with them. Even now. It means you don't have to isolate yourself when you suffer. You can go running straight to God. The call to the Christian is not only come out of the courtroom, but come out of hiding. You're all doing it. You're hiding from each other in this room. You're hiding from your spouses. You're hiding yourself from yourself because you can't stand to look, but you can go to God and stop hiding. And you will be known and loved and if you don't come out of hiding, well, Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. So when you are alone, you don't think right. And especially if you are alone and without God. But when you're with him, he starts to teach you how to live. And I'm not talking about what not to do. He teaches you what not to do, but he also teaches you what to do. He teaches you what life looks like, abundant life looks like. And he puts you on this new path to go down. And then, and then he disciplines you, but in a good way. Hebrews 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. 
For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. So saying you're going from a wanderer to son and daughter of God, and he's disciplining you out of love for you. Now, what does that look like? Discipline, that is. Well, first I would say I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because when I look at my four children, when I discipline them, I have to discipline them all very differently because they're all very different. And they need something different from me. And I'm stumbling trying to figure this out, but, but I want to be a good father, so I'm trying my best to figure out how to discipline each child in the way they need to be disciplined. And I, I, would, I would guess that your father in heaven knows that about you and knows that you need to be disciplined differently. Some of my children need to see me like rise up and look very powerful. And some of them need my sweet, tender voice at times. And God knows that about each and every one of you and what you need. So he gives it to you because he's a good father. And the purpose, what is the purpose of this discipline? To help you become holy, which means you're living into your new identity. So this is our third point, your new identity. Here, in this new identity, you go from being orphans to kings and queens. You become royalty. Now, this is what discipline is doing. It's preparing you for your kingship or your queenship. Now, we don't talk about this very often in the church. And I suppose that we're scared to talk about this because we're, people are worried that we're going to elevate ourselves above Christ. Now, here's the key. You are kings and queens underneath the great high king who is Christ. The point is, though, your identity is far greater than you realize. And it's time to live into it. Our verse says that you are heirs. Listen to this. Revelation 3.21. This is Jesus talking. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You're sitting on the throne of Christ with him. Have you ever read that? Why don't we talk about that? I think we're scared to. 1 Corinthians 6.3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than the matters pertaining to this life? The original calling of humanity, do you know what it was? It was to take Eden and cover all the earth with it. But do you know before that what God said? He said, subdue, have dominion. This is language of royalty. This is language of kings and queens. This is language of people who are to rule with wisdom and joy and love. And then to take all the truths and all the beauty of heaven, of Eden, and make it cover all the earth. That's our original purpose and goal. To be kings and queens underneath the greater king and take Eden and cover all the earth with it. But many Christians don't even come close because we act more like orphans. Oftentimes when a child is adopted, they hide food under their bed. And they do that because they don't think that they're actually going to be cared for. They're terrified. They're worried. They've been doing it all their life. What has changed? Nothing in their eyes. But what do we know that's changed? Well, they've been adopted. And they're going to be cared for well. But they don't believe it's true, and so they keep hiding food under their bed, and we do the same thing. 
We have this great privilege. We have this great high calling of royalty, yet we're still hiding food under our bed, not thinking that our Father in heaven is going to take care of us. And you know what happens when you do that? Well, you're living in fear. And if you're living in fear, well, fear breeds selfishness. And so instead of doing selfless work to bring the kingdom of God or to bring Eden on the earth, what you do is begin building your own kingdom because you're so terrified you're not going to be cared for. And so you get swallowed up by your own empire and your own kingdom and it turns into this selfishness and it all turns in on itself and you find yourself in a living hell because you're consumed with you and nothing greater than you. You never do the work to expand God's kingdom. We are to be kings and queens living in an earth, in a place with an ever-darkening shadow, but bringing light to this place. And you will never bring light to this earth if you are still under your bed hiding with the food that you have kept there. So what will get you to come out of hiding? And out of this suffering where you're isolating yourself, what's going to get you to come out? Well, I'm going to tell you this right here. During this time, when this is written... During the New Testament, in Rome, the king, if, if, he did not find to, if he did not find his sons to be worthy of being kings, he would go and adopt another child, and a worthy child, and then a worthy son, and then make that son the king. God does the exact opposite thing. His son is worthy, and he sends his son out to go wandering the streets looking for orphans who are begging for food and he wraps them up in his arms and he takes them to his home and he makes them into kings and queens who are to rule and care for the earth. He picks you while you're in need and then he makes you great. And when you see that, You will give up your selfish empires of dirt and you will begin to build a city of gold for the glory of God. And not only do you do it with God and for God, but you do it together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's our fourth point, a new family. The church is your eternal family over and over and over again. The Bible says you are brothers and sisters in Christ, bound to one another through a common faith in Christ. And that means when you share a cup of coffee with your friends, you are doing eternal things. You are doing the things of heaven. If you will realize what you're doing, and then when you do that, you're going to get glimmers of heaven more. When you share a meal with your friends, and when you lift a glass in celebration, you are doing things of royalty because you are kings and queens who are gathering together over a meal. It's a royal banquet happening here on the earth. You don't realize it, but that's what it is. And when you meet in your discipleship groups and you talk about, you open up God's word and you're reading it, you are up in the heights of what it means to be bound to one another for eternity. The blood of Christ runs thicker than the blood of man. There's a special bond that you experience with the people here in this church right now. Whether you're going to realize it or not, well, you got to realize it. Just realize it. No matter, no matter your political views, 
There is a higher allegiance that you have to the kingdom of God. And if your relationships and your bonds with people in this room are broken over politics, then that means you have an allegiance to something that is lesser than the kingdom of God because nothing ought to break it. And if it's broken, then that means you aren't acting like sons and daughters of the living God. No amount of political divide ought to divide the church. Act like sons and daughters. The picture here is a bunch of unwanted misfits who've been roaming the earth, begging, wandering, ragged clothes, dirty feet, who've been swept up by our older brother who is Christ, and he's brought us into this castle that is filled with love and joy and peace that we experience among each other. When you know what you have been rescued from, together, well, you're not leaving these people. Nothing could break the bond. Your children of God united together under a common purpose to bring heaven to earth. And you're, you, you have so committed to this purpose that you're willing to die for the sake of the kingdom of God coming on the earth. Standing side by side with your friends here in this room, fighting for them. Not fighting for your kingdom, but you fight for them. See, the opposite of you fighting for your kingdom is to fight for your friends who are there with you and to love them fully. And when you do that, the kingdom of God comes. All of us united by a common love and admiration for our big brother, the great high king. Last point. Our big brother, the great high king. Romans 8 says all of creation is groaning, like from the depths, from the deep, all of creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Now, why is, why is creation groaning for your identity to be revealed? You hear the groans? Why is creation groaning for this? Actually, it's, well... It said groanings like childbirth groaning. So it means like this is like deep, intense groanings. All of creation longs for the day for the revealing of your identity. Why? Because on that day when your identity is revealed, that is the day when the great high king comes and returns. It's the return of our big brother who came and rescued us from the dominion of the father of lies. Our big brother who came and fought for us while we fought against him. Our big brother who came and as we crucified him, he said, Father, forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. Our big brother who came to the cross and became an orphan so that we could become sons and daughters of God. Our big brother who went into death and did battle with evil and with Satan and released us from the grip of this father of lies so we could be free. Our big brother who rose upon returning from his voyage into death so that he might make a way out of it for us. Our big brother who is on the throne right now preparing a room for you in his father's house. Ruling and reigning, claiming all things as his. Until the day of his return. And when that happens, when your big brother Christ returns, 
who you are is unveiled. And that is the day when you take up the mantle and when you receive the crown and you're receiving this crown, but you're underneath the great, greater high King Christ, your big brother. And until that day happens, that's why all of creation is groaning, because when that happens, when that day, when you are revealed, all things are made new. Creation groans for that day, longing for you to live into your identity. And until that day comes, you can start living into it right now. And you could do that by getting out of the courtroom, by coming out of hiding, letting go of this guilt and shame that have been plaguing you and go running into the arms of your father and know him and be known by him and loved by him. And let him teach you how to live perfectly free and how to live and deal with this freedom. And then when suffering comes, you go running to him who has suffered and he teaches you, hey, we suffer, but as we suffer, we are transformed. And you do all this side by side with those in this room, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are fighting for them, and you are for them above all things as you are underneath God your Father and your great high King in all things. You have been adopted. So go and be free. Come out of hiding. And go know what it's like to be known and loved. Let's pray. God, let this truth not escape us, but let us escape from the sin and the guilt and the shame in the courtroom, and let us find ourselves wandering and then finding you. Help us to know you intimately, and help us to see that you are the great longing of our soul. Help us to be people who live free and love deeply. Help us to be for each other. And when we get off the path, God, bring us back. We are yours and yours alone. We love you for all you did. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.